Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. All right, Paul, here we are again. We're doing uh, another series of the live in the same room technical service podcast. It feels weird because it's been such a long time. Well, it fits with how far apart we are. Yeah. A long time and we are 12 feet apart. We are 12 Not feet our apart. required six. We are further than our required six. But if I work up a really good sneeze, I'm told that I can hit you because it'll go 13 feet. No, see, but I'm in a rolling chair. So, I can just push, push back. And now you can't hit me anymore. Uh, I'm at least 14 feet, 15 feet. That's true. There you Maybe, go. You know, but your computer? Done. Gone. So, you know, we've been building this up for weeks now. The Almost the entire time that we've um, been in quarantine, we have been talking about committing felonies towards our CFO at Carboline here. I, I mean, we haven't been doing that but you know if you wanted to break it down i I feel like kidnapping and throwing somebody out of a helicopter would qualify as a felony so (laughs) it's it's possible it's possible he would have to press charges right yeah i mean not that we're not replaceable because we are easily replaceable but it'd be two positions that they'd have to fill yeah but here before we get too far on assumptions of his character our guest today knows a little about him, knows him quite well. And we're lucky enough to have Matt McDonald on. He's our director of our rail sales. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Hello, Jack and Paul. I'm glad to be here today. Matt is lucky enough to report to Mr. Jeff Redfern. And um, I just wondered if, you know, you, you'd like to lay any odds on our ability to do this or his, his willing participation uh, in this situation, Matt. How do you feel? about our uh, hijinks with Mr. Redfern. Well, I'm glad to be here today, and I didn't know I was going to get thrown such a tough question as, as the first question. So uh, reporting to Jeff, I might have to be a little careful with the way that I answer it, but I certainly have enjoyed the banter in the past sessions and in, in, in hearing about this. So uh, I look forward to having Jeff on one day, and, and I am pretty sure and confident that at some point he will be on in and contributing to this wonderful podcast. Oh, I mean, see how there was nothing about a helicopter in that statement. Right. <laughs> and we did find the team that was going to help us uh, kidnap him if that is necessary. They are A-rated. They are. <laughs> anyway, so we brought Matt on because I don't know if you guys have noticed, Carboline has embraced technology over the last couple of weeks, uh, months with uh, quarantine and coronavirus. And we were able to bring you our corrosion schools through webinars. We, we did some fireproofing schools through webinars and we did a couple rail schools through webinars, uh, just a couple topics. And we thought that it would be an excellent opportunity for us to have Matt on and have a conversation about choosing a lining for the rail industry because we we did have an episode early on about tank linings and it was it was a series but it is more specific and detailed as we get into the rail industry so matt we're grateful that you're here and let's kind of get into it so i think the first thing that we want to get into when we talk about linings and it was kind of funny when we were preparing for the show paul kind of gave us an outtake but it was you know who 
ultimately makes the lining decision. And well, right away, I jumped in and I go, "We do. You know, <laughs> it's it's tech service. We make those." Matt was Matt was quick to point out the folly in my retort. Yeah, so Matt, why don't you uh, put him in his place again, this time with the record button? <laughs> certainly. Well, Paul is correct, but he's just getting ahead of it a little bit. Uh, certainly, Paul and his tech service team are very involved in making lining recommendations, but they don't make the ultimately make the decision. And when we talk about uh, lining of a tank car or a hopper car, there's a lot of people that are involved, and that's uh, the car owner or shipper, the people that own rail cars, a leasing company. There's also repair shops that do repair work, new construction, the builders uh, that, that make rail cars. Everybody has a certain amount of involvement with rail cars and when they're going to be lined. But when it comes down to it, the person that makes the lining decision is going to be the lessor, the, the shipper or owner of the rail car or the lessor, the person that is shipping the product. And the reason that is, is because they understand what's going into that car and what's going to be in contact with that lining better than anyone else. A builder of a rail car or a leasing company doesn't necessarily want to take on the liability of making that recommendation because they don't they might not understand that product that's going to be shipped as well as as anyone else. That's a great set of points to bring out that in most of these cases it is the those people who are in charge, they are the ones with the history who understand what have been the difficulties and where they've seen problems in the past. And we rely on them a lot from a tech service side for just that reason, too. We'll frequently ask, hey, you know, we've made these recommendations in the past. What did you guys decide when you did it? Did you use that recommendation? So I guess that kind of leads us into the question of why are we going to line these rail cars? Lining tank cars is important for a lot of reasons, but the three things that come to mind for me are protecting your asset, protecting the rail car itself. A rail car is an expensive piece of equipment. An average price of a tank car, it's around $150,000 per car. And that certainly depends on the setup and the configuration of the car. So you want to protect against corrosion. And we know that there could be anything from food grade products in, in tank cars, all the way to some very corrosive products that can corrode the car which can be costly for metal repairs, but it can even get to the point where it can uh, cause a breach in the car, which causes a lot more issues later on. If something is that corrosive and eats through the car, you certainly don't want it leaking as you're traveling down the tracks and putting that corrosive chemical all over the ground. So asset protection is number one. Second thing that comes to mind is product purity. It's protecting the product that you're going to put in that car. A lot of times with product purity, you think of food grade. If you're shipping corn syrup or other food grade products, you certainly don't want any contaminants getting into a food grade product. The third reason for lighting rail cars is regulatory compliance, making sure that you're following the government regulations that are required. And the FRA, Federal Railroad Administration, requires all tank cars that are carrying a product with a corrosion rate of more than 2.5 mils per year must be lined. And that is the responsibility of the shipper or owner of the rail car. And even if you're leasing a rail car, it still comes down to the person that is leasing the rail car, not the leasing company. So you have to make sure that you're protecting your asset, you're protecting your product with product purity, and you're following the government regulations. You know, I hadn't really thought about it until you were talking right there that, you know, we do these 
tank lining recommendations all the time for non-moving tanks, but now in, in the rail industry, we have tanks that are on a train that are going going down the railroad and, and you definitely don't want leaks and things like that. Those could cause major problems for everyone involved. Everybody's familiar with our Carbothane 134HG, but what we did is we took that and we put some more UV resistance in there. And that's where we got the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. This exceeds the SSPC coding specification number 36 level 3A. That is the highest you can get. Can't get any higher than that. So this is the top of the line UV resistance that you can get in a polyurethane. It is suitable for your AWWA OCS systems uh, 5, 6, and 7. But basically you would want to use this anywhere where you want exceptional UV resistance, color and gloss retention. This is your product, the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. Looking further, we've talked a lot about the kind of information that you need to make a recommendation for a non-moving tank before, but it's good information to review. What information as Carboline do we need to make a recommendation for a tank car lining? First thing that we ask for is a SDS, a safety data sheet. Of course, before it used to be referred to as an MSDS, and now it's a safety data sheet. That's an important piece of information that's required, and it's going to be reviewed by our technical service department. So I guess I should take a, a step backwards. When we're asked for lining recommendations, I had some very qualified people in my group, a lot of experience in our group, but we still do not make the recommendations ourselves. We go to our tech service team for recommendations. So we will ask for an SDS, safety data sheet, and then we ask some other questions that are involved too, which is, are there any product purity requirements? And how stringent is that? And something that's really important that goes along the lines with the SDS is what is the loading temperature of the product? Because a certain chemical can treat aligning one way at ambient temperatures, and it can be very harsh to aligning at maybe 25 or 30 degrees hotter than that. So loading temperature is going to be important. Some other things that we talk a lot about with, especially in the rail car world versus stationary tanks, is is there any cleaning requirements that are associated with the product that's hauled in that tank car? Meaning that after the car is unloaded, is it going to be cleaned with hot water? Is there any kind of chemicals that are involved? Is somebody accessing the car to help with cleaning? Um, So we take that into consideration too. So Matt, you've hit on a lot of specific topics there, but is there anything else that goes into, you know, what other factors might be involved in making a lining selection? I think it's important to have confidence in the lining that you have. So once we make a recommendation, we go to our tech service team, we give them the SDS and the loading temperature and everything. They come back to us with some options. So we will present that to the customer. And along with that, we'll give them an idea of what sort of History do we have with that? Are we familiar with this being used in the past in rail cars? Sometimes we'll provide some test data along with it too. And I think I should touch base, and Paul, you know this better than I do, that we have an immersion database of, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, I say 30,000 different commodities or concentrations of commodities that we access to make our recommendations. Is that So, so Matt, I wish I, could right say, you? I wish I could say that you were right. You are so far off that I don't think you could even imagine. I ran a count on it a couple of months ago, maybe six months ago. It was 163,000 entries. Holy. Yeah. And that, like you said, it's a different entry for concentration. It's a different entry for temperature. So it's not that there's 163,000 chemicals, but 
different testing data points that are in that database. It is immense. That's really interesting because I think a few years ago when I was giving some presentations, I had the number of 10,000 <laughs> and I've talked to some people and now we're 30 and now look at that number. So that's very impressive. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to our many years of being a lining supplier in the industry, not only in rail, certainly I'm speaking about rail, but certainly as a whole. And I would like to say that we are very conservative with the line with the lining recommendations we give, but it's nice to have that backing of the, what did you say? 130,000? Yeah, 163,000. 163,000. He's still selling himself short. <laughs> I, I just, well, if this was a video, you would have seen my face, my jaw drop when he said 163,000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting too, because, you know, and I kind of want to highlight that at Carboline, you said we're conservative and I agree, but disagree to a certain extent. We are risk averse and we will go the extra mile to study these things so that we know when we make a recommendation to our customers, it will work because if it doesn't work, it does nobody good. You're mad at us, you ha but more than just mad at us. Now you have a problem that you have to deal with, and we don't ever want to be the cause to your problems. We want to be the solution to your problems. Matt, and that's a good uh, way to kind of get here, because if we were throwing spaghetti at the wall, see if it sticks, what is the cost of failure associated with a rail car lining? There can be significant costs if, the, if a car was a fail. There's a lot of things that you need to take into consideration. And that can be lost time on, on the rail car. So a lot of times a failure would be noticed at a, at a loading rack or, or unloading where the, the lining is visible to the operator that's working on the rail car. And so at that point, the car would be designated to be sent back to what they call the home shop. And it would be inspected to see what's going on with the lining. Well, the one thing in the rail world, nothing happens quickly. And where it seems easy, it's like, oh, we'll send that car back. And in a few days, we'll look at the lining and put it out. There can be a lot of transit time involved. It could be easily be 30 days before it gets to a shop. Then it's in line at the shop. It could be another 30, 45 days. I mean, you could be looking at a couple months before you actually get the inspection. So there's downtime on the car. There could also be problems associated with the failure contamination of the prop. It could be iron contamination or there could be bits of lining into the product, which could affect the product purity. Then after that, there's a cost of redoing, either repairing the lining or replacing the line. So you could easily get into uh, repair costs of $20,000, $30,000. And, and I've seen times where it's even been more than that due to lost product that they had to sell off at a reduced rate or dump the commodity because of contamination. And God forbid that that breakdown happens when you have a full load of something and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you dump a chemical out into the environment. That's right. Yes. That takes the price through the roof. Right, because now you're dealing with environmental concerns and possible, you know, health hazards of people who may live nearby. EPA fines. Yep. It could be a nightmare. Well, Matt, I think that gives us a really quick overview on the selection of linings for an interior of a rail tank car. What I would say is if you guys are listening to this and you want to hear more, Matt and his guys are the best rail team in the industry. I may be a little bit biased, but I'll stand by it. You Absolutely. You reach out to these guys. They are going to take care of you, and they're going to get you that right solution. So, Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show. You can email us at technicalservice at carboline.com. We can get you to Matt. But, Matt, thank you for coming on. 
Well, I enjoyed it. It's an honor to be on, and I certainly look forward to uh, listening to it as I uh, cut my lawn or something along that. That's usually when I listen to the podcast. So there you go. That's uh, thanks for having us. That's Adam. an improvement over the uh, vice president of El Commoner. He told us he uses it to go to sleep. So <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Well, okay. thank you very much. All right, Matt, you have thanks, a good Matt. one. And uh, for Paul and Matt, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next week. And so. For the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. Who put the light?